Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I went and looked at the deal, and to me, it makes sense. I was thinking, oh, once I show this deal, everybody would be like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> but, you know, me being naive, that didn't happen. So it was like, yeah, it sounds good, but, you know, we, I think we're going to pass. And I got to the point where I was just trying to get as many notes as possible. So I was just talking to everybody that I could under the sun. Dreamcatchers was formerly launched, unlocked with a hidden potential uh, in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education inspiration. We use simple and effective achievement strategies in the areas of prosperity, health, relationships, career, significance, and self-image. These strategies are essential to the keys of to the evolution. Over the years, we've been helping people in our immediate circle uh, accomplish their goals without being formally named or organized. About three years ago, we decided to open these services up and provide some structure to our format. We offer three levels of membership that include access to assessments and tools, group coaching, and one-on-one success strategy sessions. Tonight, you have joined our tribe call, which is a tool our inspiration. The purpose of these calls is threefold. We want to provide encouragement to give an opportunity to learn and to give examples of real people who are achieving. Okay. Thank you, Ray. You're welcome. So tonight we are going to be hearing from one of our original tribe members. Devin, are you with us? I am. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you this evening? Doing well, doing well. So we understand that you had some big wins and you're willing to share with the tribe what's been happening with you. Yes, I've had... uh... Quite a day. It's been an adventure. <laughs> so, Devin, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, just a little bit about your personal background so that as people tune in and listen and the folks that are on the phone can just understand a little bit about who you are. Okay. I'm Devin Page. I'm from a small town in eastern North Carolina called Snow Hill. North Carolina, if you're not familiar with that area, that would be the Greenville Wilson, Goldsboro area. We're kind of like in the middle of all of those 
cities. Uh, so it was very small. I graduated from North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University with a BS degree in electronic technology. Graduated from there in 2004. I am married, been married for 12 years, and I have two daughters, Jocelyn McKenzie, Jocelyn is old, and Kenzie being 12. Oh, wow. That It is always good to talk to a fellow Aggie. I guess I'm one of the old heads in the group. I graduated in 96 with a degree in civil engineering. And I also have two kids, two boys. My boys are 10 and 11. So welcome to the tribe call. Welcome to our first go at this, the Zoom format. And really, we want to dig into your journey and the journey that you've taken. Talked about graduating from school. Now we want to talk about just your journey from corporate America to entrepreneur and the different things that you're into now. Okay, sure, no problem. So I started Corporate America in 2006. The company IBM, I'm pretty sure everybody's familiar with them, the International Business Machine. Started there in 2006 doing data integration. What that basically is, is they're creating a massive database for financial institutions. I was a tester and I was in charge of writing SQL scripts and testing the performance of the database. I did that for about Two years, and as you know, that would be 2008, and we had the, the crash, the market crash, and it was just bad from there. And then on, I was displaced and decided to go back to school. So I started studying, become a database administrator, got my certifications, all that good stuff, got a position at Bank of America as a contractor, as a data analyst, and did that for about two years and was finally brought on full time. And from there, I kind of switched gears from being in IT to actually being a banker doing business controls. So from there, I started doing QA where I performed quality assurance on global banking and market customers and ensure that we're in compliance with the government as far as regulation. I did that for about three years. And then from there, I moved over to the AML, which is anti-money laundering. And from there, I reviewed all of the high-risk clients in within the bank and made sure that there were no CARES financing, things of that nature. So I did that, and I'm currently doing that today at Fifth Third. And I've been at Fifth Third now for, uh, it'll be two years next month. Okay. Um, so, so overall, I've been in corporate America for about 13 years. And I'm to the point now where I'm kind of burnt out and I want a way out. And I feel like real estate will be that, that way out. So I started pursuing. So you're feeling as if it's time to start planning your exit from corporate America. And yeah. you believe that real estate is your path for that. I think many of the people that we interact with would agree and they see real estate as an excellent opportunity to help produce cash flow as well as to build wealth. But for you in particular, what part of real estate are you wholesaling, fix and flips, um, multifamily? What are you really looking to get into? I'm really looking to get into multifamily. That just really makes sense to me based off of the benefits that it has. Such as? Like cash flow every month after the income is collected and a bill to pay, that money goes back to the investor and uh, put it in your pocket, passes the income. You also, you have 
principal protection where the multifamily investments are secured by the cash flow. And if there's something that happens to the property, you got insurance. So, you know, it's, it's back and you don't have to worry about it going to zero like stock. Okay. So you have some downside protection. Yeah, absolutely. How long did it take you to land on multifamily? I started there, but so if we go back to my childhood, my grandfather, he had single family rental property. Okay. So I was always with him. And so he was kind of like a handyman and that's what Mm -hmm. he was known for. So he could pretty much fix anything. So on weekends, there was no sleeping in. I was up with him. We were either doing some plumbing doing drywall, just something. I kind of got that niche from uh, from him and just felt like I wanted to scale. So, so I felt like multi-camera would be that niche. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the process that you've used to get yourself up to speed on the different aspects of uh, multifamily housing. Okay, so I basically started reading anything that I could find on multifamily, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts. I kind of just went on overload. So my commute to work is in the car. And then from the car, I take the train to Uptown. Okay. And so in the car, I'm listening to podcasts. When I'm on the train, I'm the podcast. Instead of listening like to the radio, mm-hmm. when I get to work, I'm listening to podcasts. So I'm multitasking. <laughs> listening to podcasts, writing things down, doing my work, and looking up stuff at the same time. So I'm definitely multitasking. So you essentially started going all in. Yes. That, that is excellent. What of those things that you've done have you found to be most beneficial? Is there a particular podcast that uh, you found benefits from, a particular book that really helped like move you in the direction that you're going? Yeah, so as far as books goes, I think the one that helped me the most was uh, Michael Blanc's Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. Okay. I felt like it gave you a basically like a dummy, uh, real estate for dummies type version of multifamily. Okay. Along with real life examples in there that you could really relate to, inspire you to pursue it. And his, his thing was basically the power of the first deal. Okay. If you get that, if you get that first deal, then the second one will come easier. And then you just keep going from there, keep scaling. But you got to do that first deal. That first deal is is key. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. This uh, kind of next question um, on my list is: Tell us about your first deal. That first deal. It it get you yeah yeah stomach all turned up and nuts and can't sleep and stress. Oh my goodness. It was an adventure. Uh, you definitely learn a lot. You gotta, you read a lot and, and you think that, that you, you got it down, but you know, life throws curveballs and you're not going to know everything. That's why you have to uh, kind of rely on your mentors and, and your network mm-hmm. because if you run into something that you're not familiar with, you can always reach out to your network and get uh, good advice. Yeah, yeah, I think people that we talk to always stress the importance of building your team, having your team of people around you and your network that you can tap into and understanding that when you're on this journey, you don't have to go it alone. Uh, There are people in programs that are out there to help people, to help them move forward, to capture their dream. 
And so, I mean, some people would like to go on their own, but mm-hmm. you can only go so far by yourself. You're going to eventually need your help. Yeah. So you're getting a little nervous. Your, you know, stomach is in, in knots and a couple of curveballs came. Do you mind sharing um, just some general uh, issues that you ran into? Uh, just sharing with the tribe so that as some of the other tribe members, as they move forward with their first deals, that uh, they won't possibly be caught off guard? Yes. One, after we we had the inspection and come to find out, like, there were a lot of things that weren't working, like um, some units didn't have heat, heat working, and uh, there was floor damage where we had that we would need to replace flooring and things of that nature. I'm kind of, you know, just basically doing the due diligence. And seller didn't want to make any repairs, any, so they did eventually give us credits for that. And then today, well, not today, but uh, two or three days ago, went back to the property uh, to inspect to make sure that some of the things that they said that they were going to do based off repairs, they didn't do. So last week, it was a really cold and some pipes burst. The seller was saying that they were going to go in there, fix all the pipes ceiling and things of that nature. We went in there to inspect it, kind of find out they didn't do it. So we were like, how do we, I asked the room, like, are we going to close like this with them not? And, and Devin, let me, let me um, yeah. kind of just ask a, a question, because my understanding of the situation is that, that they, I guess the broker that you guys were using or that the seller was using, didn't want to go walk the property and was really saying that, oh, the seller's going to take care of this. We don't need to go over there and check up on them. Everything's going to be okay. Yep. He was adamant that we didn't have to go over there. And um, we put our foot down. We're like, we're going to go over there and check it. This is our, well, this is my first deal. Yep. And we want to make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's across. So it's a good thing that we did because when we went over there, we found out that the work wasn't done. The broker was embarrassed. Well, I mean, it's a good lesson. You can't take people's word. You have to verify you have to verify that it's done absolutely because you could even could have been walking into a real bad situation had you not checked you're absolutely right even when it even in the very beginning like when brokers give their offer memorandum you can't take that as the gospel (laughs) you definitely got to do your own due diligence yeah you have to do your own due diligence you have to run your own numbers you can't just go off of the assumptions that the broker go off in their offer memorandum. You have to actually model it based on actual, not on what it could be, but based on what it is. Right. Because their, their, their interest is not for you and for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So could you tell the tribe members a little bit about the, the project? What cities it located in? How many units? Some more information. Yeah, so this is a C-class property, 26 unit. It's located in Greensboro, North Carolina on Spring Garden Street, a mile, mile and a half down. It's a 14 of the units are a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath, 12 of the units are two-bedroom. Um, with this property, our strategy is value-add, where we want to go and update some of the interior and exterior and also cut. So the value-add here is more operational value add. You're going to do some some slight adjustments to the exterior and interior, but the real value is just operating the, the property more efficiently. Correct. Okay. Right now, they have it in due to housing where all the utilities are included. 
Mm -hmm. And we're going to work to pass on those expenses to the renters. Okay. So what was the purchase price? The purchase price was 1.3. Wow. Okay. And so, and what was the appraised value? The appraised value came in at 1.7. Oh, so you have about $400,000 of instant equity. That is awesome. That, I mean, that is absolutely awesome. So, all right. I know that folks that are listening or folks that are going to be looking at this are going to say, wait a minute, that's a lot of money. How did you raise that? So we talked earlier about the importance of getting your team. So did you do this on your own? Did you have partners? Uh, tell us a little bit about, about that journey. Okay. So I didn't raise the money by myself and I did have partners. Each partner um, came in with their own amount. I can I, I can personally talk about my how I raised mine. Okay. Um, I went and looked at the deal, and to me, it makes sense. I was thinking, oh, once I show this deal, everybody would be like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> but you know, me being naive, that didn't happen. So it was like, yeah, it sounds good, but yeah, we think we're gonna pass and. I got to the point where I was just trying to get as many notes as possible. So I was just talking to everybody that I could under the sun. And those that gave me the time, I explained to them, they thought it was a good idea. But I learned that it's really not about the deal. It's about me and if you trust me. Because okay. people, the people that invested with me, they invested in me. Because they are like, they have no reason to invest with because they're they're financially set and really need this opportunity. But okay. they believe in me and they believe in what I can do. And so they took that leap of Wow. That is awesome. I mean, that's a testament to their belief in you and how it's not just about transactions, but about the relationships that we build. And those relationships become key almost in every aspects of our lives. So I was able to raise over a hundred thousand for this deal. Mm-hmm. And by me raising over a hundred thousand, I was able to come into this deal as a general partner. Okay, that is awesome. So you know the the part of the next question, and if you don't want to share, that's fine. How much of your own money did you bring to the deal? My own money, I actually did not have to bring in. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely awesome. That uh, you know that really gives you the ability to free up any capital that you have for future deals or to do different things that you want to do. So how how has your family, your wife and your kids, how are they viewing all of this? They're super excited. Like my kids, they tell their friends, like, my daddy is a uh, real estate investor <laughs> and, and he has apartments. <laughs> they think it's really cool. My wife, she's super proud of me. She's very supportive. I think they're ready to go along this journey with me. Well, that, that is great, man. So... I have a couple more questions and then I think we'll open it up for our unmute folks so that they have any questions. So where you want to go in the future? What kind of projects or deals are you looking for in the future? Definitely want to scale. So we're looking for more multifamily properties with 16 doors or more. Okay. Now, are you looking to expand and lead these deals on your own? Are you looking to continue to work with the same group of partners that help put together your first deal? Yeah, I'm definitely think I'm going to continue to partner with the, uh, with my partners that I'm currently partnered with now. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm ready to actually step out on my own just yet. Okay. I want to, you know, build more hours 
in before I step out. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's, that sounds great. I mean, just in terms of, you know, you have a good thing going, you're able to help identify these properties and you're able to keep moving things forward. What advice would you give a younger version of you? <sighs> a younger version of me. Yeah. Start, start investing early. Okay. Don't, start investing don't try, early. Yeah. I mean, it's in your 20s. You know, don't go trying to impress people that don't even trying okay. to keep up with the analysis. And when I was in my 20s, it was all about who had the biggest rim and who had the biggest lip on the rim and what are you driving, what kind of cars, all of that. I mean, all of that is not important. And okay. back then, kids think that's everything, but it's not. It's bigger things out there. Because if you just imagine, like, if if I would have started in my 20s, by now, I probably wouldn't even have to be working. Never know. It's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, so you talked a little bit about your reason for um, going into real estate investing, wanting to getting burnt out in corporate America. Is that your only why or is there some other another why that motivate motivates you to move in this direction? Uh, no, that's not the only. Okay. Financial freedom is is a big driver. Um, I want to be able to, you know, my kids got a sport. I want to be there to watch them and cheer them. I'm pretty sure my wife will be available at her disposal any time of the day. Um, and just have the opportunity to give my time back. Those are my biggest drivers. Okay. All right. And so if you could describe yourself using three to five words, what would those words be? Three to five words. I'll say dedicated, loyal. And I think those words accurately describe a person who was able to raise over $125,000 and bring it to the deal. So um, thank you for just taking some time to share. Um, we really appreciate it. We're going to continue to highlight the success of all of our tribe members. And we're also going to bring in other folks that can come in to just help us all learn, help us all learn. So I'm going to start unmuting folks. If you have questions, we can start moving forward with asking those questions. Uh, Jerome, did you have anything that you wanted to add before we opened up the line? The question I have for Devin is how did, how did you answer the question that I think every fundraiser gets, which is how much of your own money are you bringing to the deal? I assume you have to answer, I'm not bringing any of my own. And how are you able to still convince them that this was a strong investment if you weren't bringing your own capital to the deal? I did not get that that question. So able to avoid that. That's awesome. <laughs> but that goes to the strength of the relationships of folks who invested with you. Right. It's totally, they believe in you and your ability to make good decisions. That's what they told me. They were like, you know, I don't, I don't need to do this deal, but because believing that great for you and to build, build on to bigger and better things. What was the scariest part of the process for you? Scariest part is signing on the line, being responsible for one, one million dollars. Did your handshake a little when you were uh, signing? Just a little. You you would really have to be looking a little too hard to see the shape, but it was definitely there. So how many times did you think, I don't know if I should be doing this? I don't know if I really want to do this. Did you have any self-doubt or negative talk in the process? No. 
I believe in myself and I believe in this deal. I've been praying about it and I know my family's been praying about it. And so I think we're okay. <laughs> what what was your prayer? What what were you what were you asking for? What were you that it was the right thing to do and if it was and if it was the right thing for my family because that money is their money and that's a huge responsibility because that's part of their so mm -hmm. you definitely gotta make sure that you handle that with care. Now you kinda glossed over this, but ten years ago you were unemployed for over a year. Over a year and a half, yep. You were, and then when you finally got a job, you were driving over an hour each way. That's correct. And today, you have an asset that you're a huge owner in with none of your own money, over a million. Do you think you could see that for yourself when you were in the low spot? Absolutely not. I was looking for the next meal. We were going from, what are they called, uh, the food banks. We were going to food banks. We were getting stipends from social service mm -hmm. um, and food cards. I mean, you know, we were, we were struggling back then. But luckily... What kept you moving through that struggle? Uh, my family. Okay. I had to keep moving for them. We just had a, a daughter was born. So I had Mouse, a huge driver. Like when I finally did get a job, that wasn't it. I was a contractor and it was only the contract was only for 30 days wow well it sounds like that's part of your why as well is that you don't want to be in this position that you don't want to be in that position ever again you're absolutely right so now they're looking for a plan b we did get a, a a question and someone asked what was the cap rate on the deal uh, the cap rate i believe it was seven i don't remember because i don't look at cap rate i don't know that's really an effective measure of how good a dealer is or isn't. So I think NOI that the sellers had was $100,000. He bought at 1.375. Yep. Whatever that works out to be. So let me, let me jump back on that path and then I'll let you out the dark space. You were working in corporate America. Unexpectedly, you got laid off. The next step was a contract job that was basically 30 days at a time. At what point did you decide that you're going to take control of your financial future the way that you guys got compensated versus relying on going to a job in order to earn money? I think that, that kind of hit me basically as soon as I got the job. So from there, like, I tried to keep my expenses down to a minimum and try to stay out of debt from credit cards. And so prior to, to real estate, I was dealing a lot in the stock market. So I was doing a whole bunch of YouTube and on investing, trading stock. At first, that was that was my go-to. And as you know, the market has ups and downs, and then the cure than this. So that's when. I guess my last question would be: You participated in every part of the process. You analyzed the deal. You did the due diligence, inspection, walkthroughs. You looked at contracts. You were on various conference calls about financing with the various bank or lending opportunities that were out there. You close, you're a loan guarantor. What is the biggest takeaway from the process? And I'll piggyback that with what was the most eye-opening thing that you saw when you were doing the inspections? What was, what was that last part? When you were participating in the, in the inspections back in November, December, what was the most eye-opening thing for you? The most eye-opening thing was how people live. You know, 
being able to go through every unit, you kind of see how people live. And some people is nasty, and then some people are clean. But you get all different walks of life, and you get just to see a wide range of culture. How they do it's very odd. I think James had a very similar experience, but with a little different spin. Yep, I was I was about to weigh in on that. Is that when we bought our our second deal, but the first one in the Greensboro market, I went for the due diligence inspections, and we're going through. And there are some people who have very neat, tidy places. And there were others that just the conditions of the units themselves were, to me, deplorable. And, you know, it's easy sometimes for us to put that on the tenant. But from my perspective, I put some of those things on the actual apartment owner for just providing deplorable conditions. I mean, you had one unit where the sink was stopped up and they had to dump the water, you know, outside. And that particular unit had small babies and there were all kinds of issues that you run into. And so one reaction is how could the tenants live that way? My reaction was how could the property owner have a unit in that condition? And that was one of the things that helped to crystallize my why, you know, being able to go in, make investments and provide sound, affordable housing, workforce housing for people, a decent place for people to live. And I think that's where we can really make a difference um, is providing that decent place for people to live. Yeah. And I think when you do that, um, people take pride in living there and they take care of it. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a, there is a correlation there. And, you know, I didn't get into multifamily property investing to be a slumlord. And I don't think any of our partners have done that. And we really strive to go in and make those operational adjustments so that we can provide a decent, affordable place for people to live. I mean, we all know that there's a housing crisis, that there's a housing shortage and multifamily is part of that answer. And part of that is making sure that we're able to have workforce housing uh, throughout the triad, throughout Greensboro, throughout different places that we operate. And so I think we'll continue to push in that direction. Totally agree. Uh, there was another question that came in, and Devin, this is for you, is how do you fill the gap uh, between what you had learned and it, during your real world journey um, associated with the buying process? What is the work that you have to do now on that particular project? to make it more operationally efficient. Now, what we need to do is go in and look at the expenses and try to, well, first of all, get the expenses. Well, once the rents turn over and we get new leases, we can um, push those expenses over to the renters like your water, your electricity, and internet. Right now, it's all inclusive. And what we need to do now is pass those expenses over and have them take over that. I think that's the first thing. And then once the uh, the leases turn over, if any upgrades need to be done or made, then we'll go into the turnover. James, on the first part of that question, um, I think they're asking the difference between theory and real world. In my experience, the answer is mentorship or somebody who's a little further down the path helping you yeah. take those steps because the podcast and the videos, the books are all nice, but what do you do when you're not sure if there's a leak? I, I don't know that that gets covered. 
So, and yeah, to me, uh, nothing nothing beats that person to person contact and being able to. You, know, you can listen to the podcast, you can like I said, watch the videos, you can get lots of information. But there's a difference between information and a relationship. When you have that relationship with your team or a mentor, you're able to learn so much more, so much faster to help you move forward. What would your next project be? Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. We're currently going to be looking for a multifamily 16 units or more within the triad area. Devin. Yes. First of all, congratulations. Um, We're huge. Um, And in having met you before, what does this now mean for you and your W-2? I'm still going to be doing the W-2 job, having accumulated enough units or a passive income to remove me from that W-2. So I'm going to keep on building until I create enough passive income to replace my W-2. And once I do that, I will step away. Awesome. My goal is to have that replaced by 2020. And that's going to require how many units? That should require 100 units. And so that's a hundred, that's you having a stake in a hundred units or owning the equivalent of a hundred units outright? Owning the equivalent of a hundred units outright. Okay. The way you got to be careful with the unit count is because you can buy a unit that generates $400 a month and you can buy a unit that generates $1,000 a month and what actually comes to your pocket is very different. So a lot of people beat their chest on how many units they have. I, I've been guilty of it at times. And what I've really learned over the past quarter is really focus on collected rents. What's your top line? And then focus on your expenses after that so that you get as much of that top line as you can to the bottom. It really gets back to business 101, which is sell as much as you can and then figure out how to keep as much of it as you can. And then, uh, Devin, I asked the, the one question in regards to, okay, so you're, you can see yourself to be well-read. You put, you put in the hours of listening to podcasts, listening to the experts. But at a certain point, there is, let's say, a limit to the amount of information and knowledge that you've either acquired, uh, witnessed, or that, you, that you've gotten on your own. From that mm-hmm. point, your info, where your knowledge stops, and then you're having to make this leap into some unknown realm what did you have to do to get to get yourself to do that step out there and take that leap of faith you have all of the knowledge that you've gotten from reading and podcasts you you have a network so you have support behind you so it's just a matter of just taking that step you got all the tools and you got support so that's everything that you need one thing you have to do now is just find a deal and yeah, you, you can't fly if you don't try right a question for you Good evening as well. Um, what did the financing look like when it came to the banks and, you know, how did you have to present to them, especially, you know, not having a uh, multifamily a portfolio yourself? Um, so with me not having any portfolio and, or um, experience in multifamily, that's when you have to leverage your network. So because I didn't have experience in multifamily, my network did. And therefore, I leverage them as my experience. And I guess the rest of the terms on that would be interest rate on the loans, like 5.5%. They did a 10-year term because we're concerned about the market correcting in the next, I don't know, 6 to 18 months, depending on who you talk to. I don't want to be in a low spot in the economy 
when we were when we wanted to refinance or needed to refinance. The ten year term isn't fixed at the five point five. At year five, the rate resets and it goes for the next five years after that. We don't intend to be in this financing for that long at the purchase price and at the valuation, we should be able to refinance into permanent agency debt, which is Fannie or Freddie Mac. And that will allow us to get a longer fixed rate. Um, It's typically a little bit cheaper, but the big difference between bank debt and agency debt, whether it's recourse or not. And so agency debt is not recourse. So that will no longer show up on Devin's liability sheet. Oh, and another question is this, um, are you guys looking at, looking to hold this long term or do you have an exit plan for it? Right now we don't have a, uh, well, we we have an exit strategy. Exit strategy is going to be once we refinance to uh, that Fannie or Freddie, we'll be able to pull out all our principal um, funds. Um, but we're looking to keep the apartment complex holding for as long as possible. I mean, part of the goal, like you said, is to you buy it, you do the upgrades that you need to do, you get it to 90% occupancy or, you know, hopefully a, the threshold towards 100% occupancy, then you're able to go and get that agency debt. And as Jerome said, when you're able to get the agency debt, it's a non-recourse loan. So what secures the loan is the property itself. And you no longer have to be a personal guarantor. Uh, When you do the refinance, you're able to take out uh, all of the uh, initial investment. Um, So you give that back to your investors and your partners, and then you're able to hopefully roll that over into new deals Why that property that you just refinanced is continuing the cash flow and to provide some profits to the partners. Devin, six months ago, if somebody told you to go raise $100,000 or $120,000, dollars what would you have said? I would say, what? From who? <laughs> But um, in the financial freedom with uh, real estate investing, it, it teaches you uh, to start with family and friends first. So it was a matter of who did I think, first of all, would have money that they could just, you know, lend out. And then who would lend to me? Because I don't have any experience. Um, so that's when I went to, you know, my family and friends and just pitched the deal to them and try to get as many no's as possible. Because you never know who's going to say yes. So you just talk to as many people as possible and you can go from there. Just shoot your shot. But you got to believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself and you believe in the deal, you got confidence, you can do it. Because me, I'm not a seller. So I'm not selling the deal. I'm selling myself. So what you see is what you get. And if you know me, then you know that I'm credible and I'm accountable and I'm going to do what I need to do to get it done. That's what I'm selling. Well, that is excellent, man. It's absolutely excellent. One last question, if you don't mind, sir. Go for it. Devin, you figured out uh, self-directed IRAs, checkbook IRAs, and it seems to be something that's extremely powerful. So for folk, can can you just kind of walk us down that line? Like who would have a self-directed IRA? What's the value of having a checkbook IRA or, you know, a self-directed IRA in general? Because most people, as I know it, don't really understand that. Sure. Um, so your IRA, you can either 
start them from scratch or you can get them and roll them over from a previous employee or employer. Um, what you do is you roll them over into an IRA and then you, you, you talk to the different financial institutions. They're going to say, yeah, we got self-directed IRAs. And what they really mean is we have stocks available for you to choose on your own. So it's really not self-directed IRAs. What you want is a true self-directed IRA where you can invest in real estate, um, precious metals, um, stocks, bonds, basically anything that you want and use your money to invest it how you want. So I took that step. I initially had an IRA with uh, Merrill, Merrill Edge and it wasn't a true IRA. I wasn't able to invest in real estate. So I moved it over to Sense Financial and now have the ability to invest my IRA in real estate. Um, but that's a process in itself. So you have to roll your money over to a trust company and then the custodian will take charge of the account and then um, wire the funds. Or first, you have to create an LLC in the name of the IRA. Once you get that, you can open up the bank account. Once you open up the bank account, the custodian will transfer the funds over to that bank account and you now have a checkbook IRA where you can go and purchase whatever you want, either real estate, uh, stocks, bonds. You can um, become a hard money lender, um, just about anything you want. Um, with your checkbook IRA. So it gives you the flexibility and the, the ability to, you know, purchase on the spot without having to reach out to a custodian or anything like that. I'll preface this statement by saying we're not necessarily given any financial advice. We're talking about our own personal experiences and our journeys from, um, you know, doing these transactions and moving things around. So when you're out there asking for money and people are like, I don't have any money to uh, to invest. Well, you have an IRA or you have a 401k, um, which they don't really think about. But what you can do is you can take that money, roll it in a true self-directed checkbook IRA and invest in and create, you know, passive income that is um, tax deferred or either tax free. It just depends on if you have a Roth or traditional. So there, there are a lot of tax benefits in IRA investing in state. Okay. Thanks a lot, Devin. Jerome, any more questions? Of course, there's more, but I'm done for the night. You're done for the night? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Devin, we thank you so much for uh, joining us, talking about your journey um, and your first deal. We know that you're destined for success and that there will be more deals coming along the way. If there's anything that any of us can do to help you along your journey, please let us know. And that goes for all of the tribe members. If you come across a deal that you're looking at, you want some advice on, uh, let Jerome know. You can let me know. Let Devin know. We'll uh, help you kind of start walking through that and see what other ways that we may be able to assist. Jerome, why don't you close us out, buddy? I don't even know how to close us out on this, man. It's just... For me, knowing Devin for, I don't even want to say it, it's almost 20 years. It's just amazing to see the growth. It's amazing to see the sacrifice. 
and the commitment to just trusting the process and putting one, one foot in front of the other and taking that next logical step, even if he doesn't know what the end result's going to be. It's encouraging, it's exciting, it's motivating, it's inspiring. And I'm really excited about what the future is going to bring. It's, for me, totally baffling that he came into his first deal knowing nothing about apartments a year ago, brought over $100,000 to the table, is, is a general partner. It's just, it's mind-blowing for me. When I think about my process and what it took for me to kind of go down this path and see how quickly he was able to do it, it's just, it's amazing. And so, Devin, I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate you being willing to share. I know this isn't your thing. You don't like being out in front. We need more stories like yours so that the folks who are thinking about it can be encouraged that it's possible for them. It doesn't matter where they're starting. And to think about how transformational your life has been over the past 10 years, the shift in priorities, the commitment to living below your means and practice millionaire next door success habits, and you're destined to be free. I think your five-year goal may be a little small. If I'm totally honest with you, I think your five-year goal may be a little small. I think you're going to maybe exceed that tenfold, man. Thank you again for sharing with us, James. Such an amazing session, man. Dreamshouldbereal.com is the website. If you guys are interested in learning more about Dreamcatchers, getting involved in a more intensive matter than just listening to these phone calls or video calls, James is upgrading us. Man, James, I got to talk about you for a second, man, because you sent me that screenshot of your notes from 2016. Yep. And to think about what we're doing tonight, and how you saw it in 2016. It's just another testament to being surrounded by people who push for greatness, who want more, who don't let the 1% get in the way. And people who are doing, a lot of people talk. They'll talk about investing. They'll talk about uh, how they want to lose weight. They'll talk about financial freedom. And then there's the people who actually do the steps on a daily basis in order to make progress towards whatever that worthy pursuit is that's been placed on. And you and I were talking about this about a week ago, about what the biggest difference is for you. And to see you just, you know, bearing down and imposing, imposing your will on yourself, right? Because the body will tell you one thing. It'll convince the mind that you shouldn't be doing it, but. We can't, we can't give into that 1%. Can't do it. You're forcing it. You, you, you had a meeting before this meeting, which is why we scheduled it at the time we did. Mm-hmm. You were up early this morning. This was important to you. Yeah. This is good, man. This, this excites me. I, I think there is so much here, and I'm just glad to be a part of the process and a part of the group and the fellowship because I think as we get into adulthood, we forget how important it is to surround ourselves with folks who are still dreaming, still hoping, still wishing, still pursuing. I think yeah. we get told by the world that it's it's not practical. Be practical. Work until you're 65. Then take social security and work jobs that you aren't passionate about. And so for me, the mission is to free people from work they're not passionate about. It's providing that, you, you call it decent, that suitable space for folks to live in. Mm-hmm. Because in my first due diligence walk, I saw a little girl's bed who it looked like people just jumped up and down on it with shoes on with mud. And then it made me think about 
the people in my life and if I really wanted them to live that way? What if we had to live that way? What is the responsibility as a as an owner of the property? This did good for my heart. I, I appreciate everybody that called in. I appreciate you guys for sharing your stories and looking to many more of these. Absolutely. Get it how you live, and that's just what I did. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy.